You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Well, good morning, church. I'm so blessed by these guys, and can we just give another round of applause for our children? What's amazing about what we do with our kids is, um, even since the beginning of our church, um, we have sang songs that are not expected for our children to sing. Like, um, these words are high level. Why would you pick this song for your children rather than um, an easy classic? Um, and since the beginning of, of our church, we've been really big on wanting our children to actually learn deep theological truths as they learn the scriptures from our teachers and as they sing these songs. And as many of you parents know, they have a far greater memory than most of us do, right? So they will sing songs over and over again in the car, and uh, by, by you know, just a couple days, they've got this difficult song with deep theological truths memorized. And you're like, I don't even have the words to the first phrase. And you know, yet how in the world have you done that? And, and what's wonderful is they continue to recite these things in their minds and in their hearts. They're gonna grow into teenagers and adults who believe the truths that they've recited over and over again in their minds and their hearts. Aren't, don't you wish some, I mean, I know I do, um, in, in light of, of not knowing God until later on in life, I wish that I had been brought up by these truths, that, that I could understand and hear these and, and believe them at a young age and that they would sink deeply into my heart. And as I grew into an adult, which I'm not yet there, but as, as I did, some of you guys said amen, don't say that, just kidding. Um, that I would have understood these. So, so really, uh, praise God for what he's doing in the life of our, the lives of our children. You can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter seven. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter seven, I hope you have one. If you don't, um, you can always grab one in the hallway or look on with a neighbor. We're gonna be in verses 18 through 35. And when we walk through the scriptures, I, I hope you um, know, and if you're new here, that you would understand this is how we um, move through the scriptures. We each week teach uh, verse by verse, uh, word by word, sentence by sentence through the scriptures as to understand it. Preaching has always been simply the explanation of scripture. Um, that's what we want to do because the more that we understand the word of God, the more we grow and are conformed into the image of Christ. The Bible says that the word never returns void and so when it goes out, it always accomplishes what it's set out to do, just like rain, okay? It never returns without accomplishing um, something. We've been walking through the book of Luke, um, and we've been doing it for some time, and we will continue to do it. Um, we have uh, a, a lot left, um, but I'm excited for where this is going. Um, and this is a perfect time also for, for Christmas, uh, the Christmas season, for the, the passage that we're going through. And really just walking through the Gospel of Luke is such a, it's so perfect in timing as it correlates to Christmas. Because what we're seeing is, listen, Jesus has come to earth. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus came to earth for a reason, to restore God's people. Yahweh, the name, one of the names of, of God, right? There are plenty of names of God um, that we see all throughout the scripture, but Yahweh, the Lord, it refers to the covenant-keeping God, the Lord, the covenant-keeping one who will love his people with a steadfast love. With those who trust in his name and follow him, he will keep his covenant with them, the steadfast love of the Lord, Yahweh. And this Yahweh is going to come, this Lord is going to come to earth and keep the covenant that he made with his people long before Jesus ever came to earth. And he's going to restore them into a relationship with him. Although their sins have separated them from God, God is going to keep his covenant by pursuing them with a steadfast love, sending his son Jesus into the world and beckoning them, calling them 
back into a relationship with him. This God indeed is faithful. He indeed, indeed is keeping his covenant to his people with a steadfast love. This Messiah would come and reconcile God's people to God. They were separated by their sin. They deserve punishment because of their sin, eternal punishment separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. And yet God would send his son to live a perfect life, bear the weight of the sins of the world, go to the cross and pay the penalty that we deserve so that we can be reconciled to God in relationship and have everlasting life in his name. This is what this Messiah would do. And he would come in the place of a town called Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem means the house of bread, right? If you look back in the Bible to the book of Ruth, you see that it was ironic because that family had left Bethlehem, the house of bread, because of a what? Famine. The house of bread had no bread. So Elimelech brought his wife Naomi and their sons to, a, 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 to Moab, a place of Gentile world, a Gentile nation. This Bethlehem, but they would return when God would restore the bread to Bethlehem. But listen, this place, Bethlehem, the house of bread, is about to receive the bread of life, who takes away these sins from the people. And so listen, as we move into this story in Luke, Jesus is now in his ministry, and his main course of ministry is to show that he is indeed is the Messiah, the one who is to come, who Israel has been expecting, the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, who Jeremiah spoke of, the Redeemer of the world, that Isaiah speaks of, that people would believe and so receive eternal life. Now, in this, what Jesus is doing to show himself to be the Messiah is working miracles. He's teaching. He has, as Christians uh, preached on, perfect timing, placement, compassion. He's even raising people from the dead, all to display, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, I am the covenant-keeping God, I am the Messiah who is to come, and I have come to take away your sins. Believe in me, and so receive eternal life. And so in our passage that we're currently in, which is Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35, we've worked uh, a, a lot through this, even this first point. But the, but the main point of this is, again, Jesus showing himself to be the Messiah. So last week, what we saw was the identity of Jesus, right? And we're gonna recap all of this after we read, but this is what this passage has shown us, okay? Last week, if you walk away, here's what you say. Jesus indeed is the Messiah, and the scriptures verify it. Regardless of John's circumstances, regardless of John's expectations, and regardless of the results that everyone expected from the Messiah, Jesus indeed is the Messiah because the scriptures have verified it. We saw the identity of Jesus. Today, what we're gonna see is the identity of John, okay? But this identity of John it's important. Why? Because John is the forerunner of the Messiah. He is the one who is to come before the Messiah and teach the message and say, listen, people, here is the Messiah. He's coming. Believe in him and so receive eternal life. So we're going to see his identity and his message and his greatness today. And then next week, what we're going to see is the lack of belief by these people. We're going to stay in this passage for three weeks because there's so much packed into this. But here's what we see in that last point in what we're going to see next week. Unbelief is characterizing this, this section, okay? Unbelief is, is really characterizing this section. What Jesus is saying is, I'm the Messiah. This is my identity. John's message has confirmed this. And yet people are not believing in my name. And he gives us the reasons why, okay? And so here's what I want to encourage you with. You should relate to this passage. Because Jesus is indeed the Messiah. The scriptures have verified this. John's message does confirm this. And regardless of circumstance, expectation, results, or your own wisdom, Jesus is who he says he is. And yet, we don't believe. You know, unbelief is the root of all sin. It's the root of all sin, unbelief. If you struggle with lust, you are believing that something else will satisfy you more than God will. Or you are unbelieving in the sense that God is more satisfying than your sin. Even Hebrews speaks of bitterness and that the root is unbelief because you are believing that forgiveness is not something that God prescribes. 
but instead holding on to your bitterness. All sin is rooted in the unbelief of who God is. And so what we're seeing here is this unbelief from this people, although Jesus is the Messiah. And what the encouragement to us is in this story is that your belief, listen, ready? Your belief, it needs to be rooted in the scriptures. Stay with me. Your belief in Jesus Christ, your faith in God, needs to be rooted in the scriptures, not in your circumstances, not in your own wisdom, not in the results of what you expect from Jesus, and not from your expectations of him, but in the scriptures. Listen, this passage is gonna lead us perfectly up to Christmas. Why? Because this is again showing us Jesus is the Messiah. John's message confirms this. And yet unbelief happens because of the wrong expectations of the Messiah. Think about the wrong expectations that the world has had of the Messiah, right? That this Messiah, would he be born in a king's palace? Would he be one of, of high royalty? But yet this Messiah comes in a manger scene, right? Humble and hidden. And it, it meets no one's expectations of what this, this Messiah would look like. Or, and he was different than everyone expected him to be. But yet God is calling us, just like these people in the scriptures, to be rooted in the truth of the scriptures and what we believe about Jesus. This is relatable because, listen, as we move into the new year, as we move into Christianity, Christmas. Listen, church, let me encourage you. I think for us, Jesus wants the same thing. I think as you look to the new year, as you look to this Christmas season, would you move into a place where your faith in Jesus is rooted in the scriptures? Would you move into a place to where your faith, listen, I know that seems so simple, so easy, but listen, that your faith would move into a place where it's rooted in the scriptures. It's not rooted in your circumstances. It's not rooted in your expectations of, of who Jesus is and what he should be doing. It's not rooted in, in your, the results of what you want Jesus to do in your life. It's not rooted in your own wisdom. In no way, shape, or form does your own wisdom dictate the truth of who Jesus is. It just doesn't do it. it, it that would be prideful to say that my expectations are the ones that Jesus should meet. Or my thoughts about him due to my circumstances is who he really is. Jesus said from the beginning, I am who I, what? I am. He just is. And I know it seems simple, and that's why I don't want it to fly under the radar or over your head. I think Jesus is calling us to be a people who have faith rooted in the scriptures. This will take you reading the scriptures. This will take you memorizing the scriptures. This will take you trusting the scriptures. How much time do you spend in God's word? Your faith is, will be rooted in something. And God is calling us to root them in, rooted in the scriptures. Listen, if you know the scriptures and your belief in God is unwavering because it's founded upon God's word, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You won't have to look anywhere else to know the truth about God. Your joy will be unhindered. You'll take risks for God because you know who he is regardless of your circumstances, right? We're memorizing a, a passage together, me and my children, and we repeat just a verse every night in their bed, um, and I'll just say the same thing over and over again until I think they got it, and then I'll move to the next part of that verse and say it over and over again until I think they got it, and so on and so forth. And we started recently... Isaiah 41.10, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And what we see is if I believe that truth, as an example, if I believe that truth, regardless of my circumstances, because that's what the scripture says, I'll take risks for God. I'll share my faith. I'll be unashamed. I won't, I won't be ashamed to be a Christian. I'll live for him at every moment. And so again, I, I'm beating the, the horse. He's dead already, but I'm just continuing to beat him. I want you to be a church who is rooted in the scriptures. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Let's pray. We're gonna read. We're gonna recap point number one. We're gonna see the unbelief of John even though Jesus really is the Messiah and the scriptures have confirmed it. And Jesus point John to the scriptures 
for his belief, not his circumstances. And then we're going to see John, that's the main kind of thing that's in view today. We're going to see his message and his greatness. And we're going to see God call the people, the crowds, to belief in Jesus as the Messiah through John's message, regardless of their circumstances or their wisdom or their expectations. And so the theme is just the same. He's just now using John's message to confirm that he's the Messiah, calling them to believe the scriptures instead of their circumstances. Same theme, very simple. If you're like, okay, give me the profoundness of this. No profoundness. I mean, it's just straight, simple, but yet again calling us to believe in the scriptures. So let's pray. Father, we come before you. There's so much here in this text. Um, God, the intricacies are um, amazing, and yet it is so simple. You have come to earth. You are the Messiah. You have come to redeem your people. We, We are called, you call us to believe in your name based upon what you say about yourself and what the scriptures say about you. You call us to be a people who believe in you and follow you because of what the scriptures say about you. God, we see the doubt of John, the the puzzling uh, questions of John because of his circumstances, his expectations, and the results that he expected out of the Messiah, and yet you point him to the scriptures and verify you are the Messiah. And Jesus, today as we look, as you turn to the crowds and you use John's message and greatness as an example and you call the crowds to not look to their own circumstances, their expectations, or their wisdom, but to look to the scriptures to verify that you are the Messiah, I pray that we would see this truth once again as we did last week and we would become a people rooted in the scriptures. We would be a people who look to your word to see the truth about who you are and what you say, not towards anything else. Call us to this in the new year as we move into it. God, make us a people of your word and help us to understand today as we read in Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter seven, you ready? Verse 18, here we go. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. Now check this out. Here's what's happening so far, okay? Christian preached verses 11 through 17. You guys see him? Raise your hand if you see him. All right, not many of you guys see him. So, just kidding. 11 through 17 are the verses that Christian preached. We see that Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah in these verses by showing his perfect timing and placement, his great compassion, and him raising people from the dead. If you look at verse 17 here, what we see is that this report about Jesus, his greatness, him being the Messiah, has now done what? It's spread. People are hearing. People are, are, are talking, right? Who is this man? Now, verse 18, moving into our passage from last week, the disciples of John also heard this, right? Tracking with me? These disciples of John heard this message too and said, all right, we have to go and tell John now that this is what this Jesus is doing, right? And what we see out of the response of John is the exact opposite of what we would expect. Remember, John was the one who knew Jesus from the womb, okay? Like, you heard the phrase like, yeah, I was born ready. Well, literally, John was born ready. Okay, he knew Jesus from the womb. He jumped when the Messiah came, right? These reports went out about him, but he already knew who he was, right? So they they come and, and they're saying, hey, look, this is what this Jesus is doing. John also, what he did is he knew Jesus and who he was because he kind of grew up knowing that this was the purpose of his life. The reason why John was born was to point to Jesus as being the Messiah. That's why he existed, plain and simple. This was, his, this was his, uh, his duty from the very beginning. He also knew that Jesus is the Messiah because there's this little thing called the baptism scene. Remember that? Yeah? 
All right, you guys are awake? Okay, so he's in the water, and he's baptizing people, and he's telling people, listen, I'm not the Messiah, but the Messiah is to come, and the one who is to come is so much greater than I, I'm not even worthy to, like, touch his sandals, right? Like, that's how worthy he is. The most dirty place that you could touch on a person, their feet in these days, I can't even touch his feet because he is so much greater than I am. And then as this Messiah comes, John points him and says, that's him. He's coming right now, right? And then John comes into the, or Jesus comes into the water and he asks John to baptize him. And, and Jesus, or John says, I'm gonna baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, shh, shh, shh. Just do this out of fulfillment of the scriptures. And John does it. When John does it, he hears something. What does he hear? He hears a voice from heaven. And the voice from heaven is confirming that Jesus is the Messiah. Here's what he says. And John bore witness. He says, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And it remained on him. Who's him? And I myself did not know him. <coughs> but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and bore witness that he is the what? John knows. And yet, this is crazy. And, and even more so, because now these reports are coming. But even more so is not helpful enough, we see, because here's what John says. John calls, verse 19, two of his disciples to him, and he sent them to the Lord, saying, are you the Messiah? So now, even though John should know this, he's asking these quest this question. He sends them to Jesus himself, and he says to his messengers, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask him if he indeed is the Messiah. And we, I'm stopping here just to reiterate and, and recap what we talked about last week, but listen, John's puzzled because this is not the circumstance he expected to be in if the Messiah was here. As we talked about last week and I showed you all the verses, John is where? He's in prison. If you're the Messiah, like, I shouldn't be in, in here. Like, what, what's going on? When are you going to unlock these doors? When are you going to get me out? Right? He had certain expectations. His circumstances didn't meet what he thought should be done if the Messiah was there. And the results of Jesus' ministry were not what anyone expected. Listen, yeah, there were large crowds following Jesus, but at the same time, there were people who were turning away from him. There were people who wanted to kill him. There were people who were going to kill him, and John was going to die in prison. This was not the response that he expected from the Messiah. So listen, what we see is that John is doubting here. That's what we talked about. But look at what Jesus is going to do. Verse 21. In that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. As we discussed, this was to fulfill the prophecies from Isaiah. I showed you a litany of verses to show you that Jesus was actually fulfilling what was said about the Messiah while John was actually doubting, right? Like, this is what was happening. And so what we see, verse 22, he answers John mes John's messengers, and he says, go and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard, okay? Here's what I'm going to tell you that verifies that I am the Messiah. Look to the scriptures. Look to Isaiah's prophecy. Here's what is been said about me. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now listen, as we look to this, what Jesus is doing is pointing John's messengers to the scriptures. Again, listen, don't trust in your circumstances, your expectation, the results, John. Look to the scriptures. I'm fulfilling everything Isaiah said about the prophecies of the Messiah. Now, let me stop here for a second. We're gonna keep reading. Let me stop here for a second and say, you shouldn't be so quick to condemn John for doubting, okay? Because I think, first of all, what you're gonna see in a moment is that Jesus is gonna take the next opportunity to actually commend John's faith, okay? So if Jesus is commending, we shouldn't be condemning. 
But although we see John's faith, this should, or lack of faith, this should bring you comfort. Because have you ever been in a place where you believe, but you need God to help your unbelief? Right? Like you're in a set of circumstances that doesn't look like Jesus is really near. Doesn't look like he's in charge. Doesn't look like he's fulfilling all the promises he's made in his word. And you start to waver. God, you really there? God, you, you really still with me? Is what you said in your word true? Uh, this doesn't look like how it's supposed to look. If you were in charge, I'd be healed by now. If you're in charge, my marriage would be better by now. If, if you were in charge, I wouldn't be so afraid of what I've been asking you to free me from. If you were in charge, I wouldn't keep on struggling with, with this sin. What's going on here? And Jesus points him to the scriptures, but he does so with grace. He does so with love. Because in a minute, he's about to commend John. He's probably also like saving face for John because there's gonna be a lot of people who read this story over the course of time. John doesn't look like he's fulfilling his role of the forerunner of the Messiah too well, right? But Jesus is showing him grace. Listen, can I tell you what John would expect Jesus to respond with? Here's what Jesus would, John would expect Jesus to respond with. My armies are massing. Don't worry, John. I know you're in jail now, but Caesarea, the headquarters of the Roman government, is about to fall. Sinners are about to be obliterated. I'm about to take over the Roman rule. I'm about to pro uh, produce judgment uh, on sinners, and I am going to show my wrath as God's chosen Messiah, and I'm going to win this thing politically. That's what he would expect for Jesus to respond with, and Jesus doesn't. What does he do? He points him to the what? Scriptures. Isaiah's prophecies have been fulfilled. I am the Messiah. Okay, this is what's happening here. Now, as we look at verse 22, still recap, just stay with me. As we look to verse 22 and we see what he told John, we see verse 23, and verse 23 this week, I'm going to add to this first point, okay? The reason why is because after just doing a little bit more research, I think it belongs there. Last week, you probably didn't notice, um, but if you did, kudos to you, okay? Um, but I added verse 23 to this first point because he's reiterating the same thing, okay? Just stay with me, ready? He's saying, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, if you look at this idea of being offended, what it points to, it's actually picturesque, really. It derives from this meaning, listen to this, ready? The trapping of birds, or refers to the action that depresses like a bait stick and so triggers off a trap, okay? That's what this being offended by me actually derives from. And it's a colorful way of Jesus saying, blessed is the one who is at the, the reason why they're in trouble or the cause of their trouble is not uh, embarrassing to the person who is in trouble. He's saying it's a colorful way of referring to the cause of, of trouble. And Jesus is the cause of John's trouble, right? Jesus is not the Messiah that they expected. Jesus is not the one who they wanted. Jesus is not the one who is freeing them from prison. John is going to die in prison and Jesus can change it, but he's not going to. Jesus is not the one who's gonna rule politically. The circumstances are at the helm of Jesus being who he is and him deciding what he wants to do. And yet John is called to not look to his circumstances, not look to his entrapment, not look to his, uh, his tragedy or his, his, uh, his, in, in the way that he is trapped in a sense in this prison or even in the fact that Jesus is not winning politically, but he's called to look to, to the scriptures. Listen, here's what I wanna point to you, uh, I wanna point you to. In this word of truth, Here's who Jesus has always been. Look at this, John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the what? And that's Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made. In him was life, and the life 
was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe in him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him he who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood not of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory the glory of the only son from the father full of grace and truth regardless of John's circumstances regardless of John's expectations regardless of what John wanted to see in the results of the Messiah regardless of John's own wisdom and who the Messiah is or what should look like. Jesus is the word. He has been the word since the beginning and he will always be. This is not dictated upon John's circumstances. The same thing in Colossians 1. Look at this. He is the image of the invisible God. This is who Jesus is, regardless of circumstance. He's the firstborn of all creation for by him, what was created? All things. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Exodus three fourteen, God says to Moses, I am who I am. Now I show you these verses to tell you, Jesus has always been the king of the world. And they're not, his, the truth of who he is is not dictated upon John's circumstances. The scriptures tell us who Jesus is, and that's the truth. Now listen, before we read and just talk about the second point, we're gonna read a little bit more and talk about the second point. I wonder if you can relate to John. I wonder if your unbelief and lack of trust in God is too tied to your circumstances. I wonder if your lack of trust in God is too tied to the results of what you want Jesus to do in your life. I wonder if your unbelief is related to your expectations of what you want Jesus to be like. And I think, again, in the Christmas season and the new year, God is calling you deeper. He's calling you deeper. He's calling you to have a belief and a faith rooted in the scriptures. He's calling you to be people who walk by faith in his word, to know his word. Jesus is constantly doing 10,000 things in your life and you might be aware, aware of, of a couple, but you can't fluctuate based upon tragedy or triumph as to who you declare God to be. Because if your circumstances dictate who God is, your God will be very, very flimsy. That's who God does not want you to be. He doesn't want you to be tossed. He wants you to look to the scriptures, right? Let me give you an example. What if you are struggling with a besetting sin and you are struggling hard? God goes a long way with a struggler, okay? And what if you are struggling hard with a besetting sin and, and you want God to free you from it? And, and he's constantly not freeing you from it. You're fighting, you're working hard, you could work harder as always, but God is, is, is not just removing it from, from your life, right? And all of a sudden, you start to believe that God is, you've trusted in Christ, you're fighting, but you believe that God is constantly displeased with you. You believe that his hand is heavy against you because of your circumstances. Your own wisdom would declare that because you're not perfect, that there's no way God could be happy with you. And then because of that, the results of you not winning in your sin battle and your fight against it, I mean, it would only show you that, that Jesus is displeased with you. And your expectation would be that, of course, if he wanted you free of it, that he would free you of it. And yet he hasn't. And so now all of a sudden, your whole view of God, your day-to-day -day operation, 
your emotion, your sharing your faith, your risk-taking, your living for him in every way is characterized by your own circumstances. God is defined by your circumstances. And that's not where God wants you to be. But instead, if you look at the truth of his word every day, and yeah, you're struggling, but you know what his word says about his faithfulness, about his love for you in Christ. And you look to that truth and you believe it. You don't waver in unbelief due to your circumstances, but you trust in what his word says. You'll be effective for the gospel. God will get glory. He'll continue to work in your heart as you fight. And you'll see joy in your relationship with him. God wants you to be ones who trust in his word. Now, as we look to this point number two, and we start reading again, what I want you to see is Jesus is going to say the same things in a different way, okay? Listen, ready? He's gonna now, instead of addressing John's messengers and his disciples, he's gonna turn to the crowds. He's gonna look at the crowds and he's gonna say this, you should not be worried about John and his unbelief. You should be worried about yourself and your unbelief. Why do you not believe? This is what he's addressing, and the reasons are the same. Their own wisdom, circumstances, their own expectations, and the results that they want to see. Let's watch this. Ready? Verse 24. When John's messengers had gone, so now they're leaving. Jesus, like, told them what's up, right? Now they're leaving. They're about to tell John, yep, he's the Messiah, okay? They gone, and they began, uh, Jesus began speaking to the crowds concerning John. And here's what Jesus says. This is some sarcasm to it, okay? What did you go out in the wilderness to see, crowds? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Sarcasm is in this, okay? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury, they're in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. This 31 through 35 is what we're going to read and cover next week, but let me read it just so you get familiar with it. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? He's addressing explicit unbelief now, okay? He's just speaking in general now. They are like the children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance, we sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. But the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. He's giving the reason for unbelief in that last section. What we see in this next section is Jesus addressing the crowds. He's giving the identity of John and he's exposing their unbelief. Now stay with me, ready? The greatness of John and the greatness of his message should verify that Jesus is the Messiah. He's looking at the crowds. He's telling them the same reason that John has unbelief, so you have unbelief. So don't look at John, look at yourself. I want you to believe. John's messengers had come. Jesus had answered by pointing them to the scriptures. Jesus's, uh, John's disciples had left. And now Jesus is gonna use this teaching opportunity to expose the crowds. He turns to talk to the crowds, right? And this is what he tells the crowds, right? After he's talked with uh, John's messengers, he's basically telling the crowds, listen, you who, who are without sin, you throw the first stone, right? If, if you guys think I'm, I'm condemning John for his unbelief or if you're looking down upon John because of his wavering uh, questions, then you should look at the fact that you have the same reasons that you have unbelief. And so he's asserting here again his identity as the Messiah, he's gonna to point to the scriptures and he's exposing the crowd's unbelief. Here's what he says. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? So listen, John's messenger's gone. 
John had doubted. Probably they're saying like, oh, you know, John's doubting. They, they probably have some thoughts that Jesus maybe harshly rebuked John and John's not worthy to be a disciple. And Jesus turns to the crowd and says, okay, people, let's talk about you for a second because you're about to be exposed by this. And to do this, as Jesus typically does, he asks a question, right? And this question is a little, has a little tinge of sarcasm in it. Like Jesus is dangerous with his words, right? They don't even know what, what he's doing. And he says, what'd you go out in the wilderness to see, crowd? Did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? Now, he knows that the answer of this is no. They didn't go out to see a reed shaken by the wind. And here's where the double meaning of what this is referring to. It's sarcasm. He's, first of all, referring to something that's commonplace. Like, the answer is obviously no. There's reeds all over the place. You didn't go out into the wilderness to just find a reed shaken by the wind, right? That's his, his first point. You feel the, the, the uh, drama that's here because you don't know, like, what are you trying to say, Jesus? Just stay with his questioning. But he's also saying something separate because here's what I want you to see. He's, he's, he's so uh, wise with his words. He's, at the same time, he's simultaneously weaving in, commending John and his greatness and while at the same time exposing these people's unbelief, okay? This is what he's doing in these words, because this has a double meaning. Here's what he's saying, ready? Would you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed? Of course not. While also referring to the fact that John is not a reed. He is not one so easily swayed. Though it might look like he's questioning, don't doubt John. He's known from the beginning. His unbelief is minute. He, he knows who Jesus really is, right? He's saying, John ain't no reed. He's not swayed by the wind. Don't think that John has now fallen away. He's commending John, and he's exposing them, same time. Second, he does it again, okay? So we know he's not, he, he's not made his point yet. Verse 25, staying with me? He does it again. Listen, what then did you go out to see? And where do he ask now? He says, a man dressed in soft clothing? Does he know the answer is no? Of course he does, right? Again, he's being sarcastic. Keep in mind, he's exposing their unbelief and he's commending John at the same time, right? It's another bit of sarcasm. What is he asking the question? He's asking the, the question like, did you go out to see like an aristocrat? Like, did you go out to see a noble? Of course you didn't, right? You didn't go out to see that. Okay, now stay with you. Like, well, so what does that mean? But just stay with me. Did you go out to see a noble? Of course you didn't. You didn't go out to see a reed either, right? Okay, well, there's also, he's now alluding to subtly the fact that you knew what kind of Messiah I would be by the fact that the forerunner was dressed in camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey. What type of Messiah, what type of Messiah do you expect me to be? Right? Like, you didn't go out to see a noble, you went out to see a, a crazy man, right? What'd you expect of the Messiah if this is who I chose to be my forerunner, right? But the double meaning is also, would you go out to see a noble? No, because that's not who John was. John gave up everything to be my disciple. John obeyed what the scriptures called of him. He's commending John and exposing them, same time. Like, who can do this with their words? But Jesus. Look at what John obeyed. Luke 1, 13 through 17. The angel came to Zechariah, said, your prayer's been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You're gonna call his name John. He's gonna bring joy, gladness. Many are gonna rejoice at his birth. He'll be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He'd be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the mother's womb. He will turn the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah, turn hearts of the fathers to their children, the disobedient to wisdom of the just, to make ready a Lord prepared, uh, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John was obeying what God had called of his life. He gave up everything to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Commending John, you didn't go out to see a noble because he ain't one. What kind of Messiah do you expect if this is the kind of forerunner? While at the same time, right, 
He's exposing their unbelief by saying, did you go out to see a reed? No. Did you go out to see a noble? No. You know, it doesn't make sense quite yet about why he's asking these theoretical questions, but I'm gonna tell you in a second. Hang on, verse 25, ready? He goes on to say, the reason why you didn't go out to see a noble is because those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. Again, double meaning. You knew what kind of Messiah to expect based upon John. I am not a king in the sense that you would think, born into a palace, right? This is the type of Messiah I am. You have expectations of me which is causing your unbelief, but that's not the Messiah that I've ever been. I came in humble and hidden, and yet at the same time, he is commending John, who has lived the simplest of lives for the sake of promoting the Messiah. Again, that's not what you came out to see. Ready? Verse 26. Here's the, the points coming. Get ready. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. This answer is right. You came out to see a prophet. This is why you came out into the wilderness. You came out to see a, a prophet. What then did you go out to see, verse 26? A prophet? You didn't go out to see a reed. You didn't go out to see a man dressed in splendid clothing. You came out to see a prophet. Now stay with me, okay? But he's more than a prophet. He's my front runner. He's given testimony to me. The only person in all of history. Don't look down on John. He's commending John. While at the same time, he's telling the people, this is what you went out to see, Right? the prophet of the Lord. And so, he's asking them, if you went out to see the prophet of the Lord, stay with me, if you went out to hear what he had to say, if you knew that he was a prophet of the Lord, if you came out to hear his message, if you came to hear what he had to say, if you knew that the reason why he's here on earth is to promote the Messiah, if you knew that this wasn't any old message, but it was a message about the Messiah, if you wanted to know it, if you heard it, if this is the reason you went out into the wilderness, if you know the identity of, of who I am is rooted in the scriptures because John has been foretold in the prophecy of Isaiah to be my forerunner, and he's pointed to how I am the Messiah, if you knew all this, if Malachi 3 is fulfilled because it says, verse 27, the scriptures had pointed to John, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will wipe away, uh, who will prepare the way before you. That's Malachi chapter 3 being pointed out. If you knew all this, why did you, why do you not believe? He's saying, enough with John. He's saying, yeah, John should have believed because he knew the scriptures were fulfilled and that I'm the Messiah. But what did you go out to see? You went out to hear the message about the Messiah and you knew what was said about him, so why don't you believe? And the answer that he points to is really the same because woven throughout all of this is again, this is not the Messiah that they would expect. This is why they don't believe. Now, church, listen. Here's what he's, he's doing. He's showing these people, you have the same reasons for your own unbelief, which tells us that God really wants us to get this. The causes of unbelief, expectations of what the Messiah should be like, of what the Messiah should do in your life. Circumstances that aren't as great as you want them to be. And therefore, you're unsure about who Jesus is and what he's going to do. The results of Jesus' ministry in your life are not what you want them to be. And your own wisdom from the world is causing you doubt as to who Jesus is. Do you know that this is the reason why people don't come to faith in Jesus? One of the most prominent reasons. This was the same back then. Jesus was born in a manger. He was humble and hidden. It's the same as it is now. The wisdom of this world, right? Your own wisdom, my own wisdom, causes unbelief because Jesus doesn't match what we think. But instead, we need to conform to who he is, not conform him to what we want. The scriptures are the things that tell us the truth about Jesus. So look at this. Ready? We're gonna close this out. Verse 28 the only person on earth who's been given this responsibility. He's exposing them. You went out to hear a message. You heard it. The scriptures pointed to me. 
you should have believed the scriptures, not your own wisdom. What else did you go out to see? That's what you went to see, and that's what was told to you. This is the Messiah. Look, Malachi chapter 3 is quoted. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare a way before you. And Jesus commends John one last time and says, I tell you, among those who are born of women, none is greater than John. Listen, John is the only one who was ever chosen to be the front runner of the Messiah. That's a pretty good, like, resume, right? If you're the only person on earth ever chosen to be the forerunner of the Messiah. But here's what Jesus says next, and I want to close with this. Look at what he says. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, they rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. The theme is the same here. Listen, it's still woven. I want you to see this. Jesus emphasizes, John was great, but now what is he saying? Listen, ready? He's saying, those who have believed in my name are greater than John. Jesus is emphasizing the superiority of his kingdom, of the greatness of being in his kingdom. This is a watershed moment. He came to inaugurate his kingdom, and the least in the kingdom of God is the greater is greater than the greatest of men. So he's saying to these people, what's important is that you believe in who I am as the Messiah. John belonged to a time of promise, but the people who believed in the Messiah and received eternal life would belong to a time of fulfillment. Okay? Here's what he's saying. You need to believe this is who I am and you will be greater than the greatest man on earth because what matters is what you believe about me being the Messiah. Verse 29, stay with me, ready? When the people heard this, what kind of people heard this and believed? The people who were associated with the tax collectors. I think he tells us on purpose that the tax collectors and the people, they're the ones who listen to this, and here's what they said. God is just. It's good that you send this kind of Messiah. We agree with it. We believe in this Messiah. We are okay with this. You are right, right? These are the type of people who believed, the ones who were not caught up in their circumstances, expectations of the Messiah, that the ones who didn't want to see certain results from him, but the ones who humbled themselves and they forsook the wisdom of this world to trust in Jesus as the Messiah. You guys ever seen that movie, Robin Hood, the, the, um, the cartoon version of it? Uh, out of the vault, Disney, right? The fox is, I think he's a fox. Is he a fox? All right. So we're watching out of, all out of the vault movies, right? And uh, vault, I don't know how to say that word, vault. Okay. So we're watching those, and I love that, but you see the tax collector in that movie, and I, I love it because it's such a, 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 an exact picture. This tax collector, go, I forget what his name is. Anybody know? John something, right? There's multiple Johns, okay. Sheriff? Oh, maybe Sheriff Nottingham. Okay, all right, I was wrong. Anyway, Sheriff Nottingham, they got it right. Here's what he's doing. He's going into every home and collecting taxes at every point and every time. Why? Because he was commissioned by somebody else to collect taxes. But he has the authority now to collect taxes. And as he collects the taxes, anything he collects that's over the amount that he owes to his authority, he gets to pocket. This is why people hated tax collectors. They were Jews commissioned by the Roman government to collect the taxes from their people. But they knew that they only had to pay a certain amount back to Herod. Therefore, anything they collected over that amount, they pocketed. So they would tax on everything, right? They would tax, you walking down the road, like tax, right? You stepped over a puddle, tax. Like they're just taxing them on everything. And so these people who are scum of the Roman world, scum of the Jewish world, these are the people who stand there with the other people around and say, Jesus, who you say you are, what you say of yourself, what the scriptures point to about you, we believe that that is right. God is just for sending this type of Messiah. Again, alludes to our point that what gets in the way of belief is our own wisdom. And these people have none of it. They just trust in what God's word says about the Messiah. And so let me refer to the second category of people that he shows us and we're done, which are who? The Pharisees. And look at what the Pharisees respond with in verse 30. They say, after Jesus has declared all this, 
And the lawyers, they say, we reject this purpose. We reject this Messiah for ourselves, and we reject the baptism and the message and the greatness of John. We don't care what the scriptures say. We don't care what the prophecies are. We don't care what John was saying. We don't care what you declared to be right. We are trusting in our own wisdom, in our own circumstances, in the results that we expect, and we do not believe he is the Messiah. Again, reiterating the fact that what gets in the way of believing is our own wisdom, our own circumstances, the results that we expect, and the expectations that we have on the Messiah church. This passage is con- it's continually pointing us to the same thing. And here's, again, my encouragement to you. Jesus is doing the same thing throughout this whole message. My encouragement to you is look to the scriptures. Look to the scriptures. Now, hear me close. Like, I know we say it, and you're like, yeah, yeah, hip, hip, hooray, we're going to do it. And then you leave here, and you live a Christian life not connected to the scriptures. The way belief is going to happen is forsaking your own wisdom, forsaking your own logic, forsaking your interpretation of your circumstances, forsaking your own reasons and results that you want out of the Messiah, and looking to what God's word says about him. Will you be a people who are rooted in the scriptures? Your faith is rooted in the scriptures, and therefore your life is characterized by belief, by belief. John 17, 17 says this, your word is truth. I skipped over a lot of verses. Your word is truth. That's the truth. And next week, we're going to see uh, Jesus explicitly um, tell us about this type of unbelief rooted in the world's wisdom. My encouragement again, believe he's the Messiah. Don't look to your wisdom, circumstances, results, or expectations. Look to the scriptures. John's message confirms it. Look to his message, rooted in the scriptures. Jesus is the Messiah, and we can believe in that. Let's pray. Father, I come before you through Christ and just ask that you would take this truth and you would would deepen it in our minds and in our hearts. God, this is just a lot of stuff to explain. And you know... My desire is for us to get it. God, this might seem so commonplace and and so obvious, but you're exposing this for a reason. You've come to earth. You have shown yourself to be son of God. You are calling us to believe based upon your words and your actions rooted in the scriptures. God, you've shown us today that John's message was great and that many people came out to hear a message. They came out to hear John. They came out to understand the truth of the Messiah. And yet, even though the scriptures pointed to him, they still remained with unbelief. Exposing to us that the cause of their unbelief was really the same as John's. That even after they heard the message from John, their own wisdom of whether or not it was true prevented them from trusting in you, Jesus. I pray that we wouldn't be like those people. I pray we wouldn't come into church and expect to hear a message about you, Jesus, in a certain way. We wouldn't expect certain results. We wouldn't determine who you are based upon our circumstances. But once we hear the scriptures, once we hear your prophet speak, once we see the fulfillment of the prophecies, once you declare yourself to be the Messiah, that we would walk away believing because we trust what you say about yourself. I pray that we would be a people who, unlike the culture, have faith rooted in the scriptures. We know the scriptures. We know the truth. So no matter what life brings our way, persecution or sword, famine, 
God, whether we go out with, with lack or whether we have plenty, God, I just pray that we'd be a people who have trusted in you. We will live for you. We will share you. We will declare you to our neighbor. We will meditate upon you. We will be satisfied in you. We will know you. We will trust you. We will take risk for you. We will be adventurous people for you because we trust so soundly in the truth of your word. God, help us this Christmas season to have belief. By the way that you came into the world, you were in no way, shape, or form the Messiah that everyone expected. This is perfect, perfect timing. But yet you were the Messiah that everybody needed. God, I pray that as we move into this new year, we would remove all expectations. We would look to your word. We'd be people founded in it. And we would believe in who you are because of who you say you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.